Hello and welcome back to episode 117 of the Building Sustainability Podcast. My name is Jeffrey Hart and every fortnight join me as I talk to designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers. Together we can explore the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Today that wonderful person is Sam Goats from the company Woven in the Bone. Sam is most certainly doing excellent things. She creates stunning woven cloth on her pedal-powered looms in Bucky up on the Moray Firth coast in Scotland. While I was attempting to cycle the coast of Scotland last year, I was given a tip-off that Sam would be a great person to stop in on and have a chat. I can't tell you how much of a lovely time I had. Uh, We drank endless coffee and chatted all morning. I was totally enthralled by the process. Uh, The machines gave me a a little childlike excitement. The beautiful fabrics were stunning. That and, as you're going to hear, by Sam's really, really open and honest way of discussing the highs and lows of her work, the details, the difficulties and the journey. So stay tuned for that. Before the episode, we have the very briefest of podcast news, and that is we have just one new patron this month, and that is Louise Lecher-Jorgensen. I hope I've pronounced that right, Louise. Thank you so much to Louise and to everyone who already supports the podcast. As I say every week, it really does mean the world to me that you want to support this podcast and help there be more episodes. It is very much a labour of love. So I'm so pleased that you get something from it and want to support it. If you would like to support this podcast and help fund more episodes and just pay for the day to day running, then please head to patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. In return for your support, you will get advert free listening, bonus content from the podcast guests, including whole episodes that won't be available anywhere else. You also get 10% off all craft courses at Nettlecombe Craft School. And of course, your very own shout out on the podcast, just like Louise. And if you really want to support the podcast, there is a higher tier, which as well as all the other rewards, I will carve you a wooden spoon that you can eat your breakfast with. As per usual, all details are in the show notes. There are links to the people we've talked about, things you might want to look into. I am giving myself a break from social media. I'm really enjoying it, I have to say. The only thing that doesn't really work is that I can't share all these podcasts. So if you can share this episode, I would love it so, so much. I always see a little spike in downloads every time someone shares. So it is. So it really does work. Um, I'm actually just about to hire a social media person because uh, not being on there... Well, it's feeling good for me personally, but I don't think it's very good for the podcast. So hopefully there will soon be some sharing happening again from me and we will catch up on all the ones that I've missed. Okay, so this episode, it was recorded at the end of 2023. Uh, Sam and I actually recorded two hours of conversation. Uh, This is the first half that focuses on the unique aspects of her craft and her business. Sam and I decided that we are going to re-record the second half of the conversation and take it in a slightly different direction. We're going to look into some of the interesting sustainability issues and solutions in her industry. The second half won't be coming out for a little while. We haven't recorded it yet. So in the meantime, I want you to enjoy this episode 
Make sure you have a look at Sam's Instagram page. It is woven in the bone. You can see videos of her working at her loom. It's a real audio visual treat. If you can't imagine what a pedal powered loom looks like, which I'll be honest, I couldn't before I'd seen one. Definitely worth a quick look uh, to see what we're talking about. Okay, I am back at the end. Enjoy the wonderful Sam Goats of Woven in the Bone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I am a weaver. Um, textile designer originally, uh, but now I'm a weaver with my own little mini micro mill uh, making what I call artisan cloth. Um, it, all wool. I've always worked with wool. Um, uh, my background is in industry and, and interiors and commercial interiors and things like that and mills. Uh, so it's lovely to have my own little mill um, that I work away in mostly on myself but my sister helps me out and uh, we make cloth for bespoke tailors pres- primarily um, but other other businesses mm-hmm. as well mostly in menswear. Uh, most goes to London, some goes all over the world uh, and we work in a it's in a, a beautiful funny little, little shed. shed by a fishing harbor. <laughs> it's a beautiful, I know, I love it. Down, um, I'm sorry, in I'm Bucky. on the northeast coast of Scotland. Yes, yeah, in Bucky. <laughs> yes. It's all happening in Bucky um, at the moment. So the the looms that you use, they're quite uh, unique, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're gorgeous. They're gorgeous. They I have three looms, um, which vary in age, uh, from around nineteen thirty eight up to around nineteen eighty, um, and they were all made by a, a, a what was once a very big uh, loom manufacturer in Yorkshire, um, called George Hattersley and Sons. Uh, so they're all made in Yorkshire. George Hattersley's been around since you know beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Um, they they claim that uh, one of their looms was um, smashed up by the Luddites back in the day, uh, and their market was pr- primarily you know. Industrial Revolution, you know, would have been originally water powered, but then electric and, you know, big, massive cast iron looms. Um, And as I understand it, um, and it's quite hard to find out the history of the model of loom that I've got. um, 
but they developed a small scale version of their their big industrial their big heavy looms. Um, my understanding or interpretation, perhaps, because uh, they were involved, they went to all sorts of the big, you know, the big mm-hmm. uh, fairs that used to run all, you know, uh, Crystal Palace and the trade trade exhibition. It's a big exhibition. So I know they went to India around the. 1900s before and after 1900s um so i i think they were developing a smaller loom for export markets having kind of so were they kind of the big name in markets or one of the big names in loom well there was a few there was a few i mean obviously yorkshire you know it's the sort of center of textile production, you know, at all. So there was there was different ones, and there'd be many that I wouldn't remember. But certainly, Dobcross was another one, um, and and what you know, one by one, all those those factories kind of closed down as the textile industry took more of a dive, and there would have been competition from overseas as well. Um, so I I think my little loom was a was a sort of offshoot trying to find new markets but um it kind of most famously that most they ended up in the in the hebrides and the harris tweed industry took them uh under their wing it perfectly suited their sort of uh situation where you had individual weavers in their own sheds so but it also was in mainland scotland the northeast up broaraway there were there were sutherland way so the and the borders um, so they were basically a, a smaller version of the big industrial looms, still cast iron. Mm-hmm. That's um, the big thing, isn't it? But powered. That's the big thing, yeah. So, um, uh, so they're they're particularly. <laughs> I think cute, for for I what think. is a an incredibly <laughs> industrial machine, they are very cute. They are very cute. So uh, obviously that that works very much for me from to my benefit from the point of view of being on Instagram. Um, uh, uh, but they are they've they're each very different characters. Um, you know, it's it's a love hate relationship. We're on good terms at the moment. Tuesday was a little bit borderline. Uh, and and there have there have been months where, um, well, I I did actually cry <laughs> on one recording, <laughs> which I didn't realise I had done <laughs> till I was listening back. Um, <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Um, uh, so there, the yeah. But that could be my yeah, well, I mean, skills and not. Uh, it seemed to me uh, that I mean these machines look incredibly complicated, and I mean I think you have to be an engineer to understand. Well, I mean you obviously understand them because of years of of. <laughs> mm, but it, it's sort of <laughs> you know it feels like uh, the world of uh, a weaver and an engineer there isn't much overlap and you're sort of sitting in the middle of making that machine do what it's supposed to do 
I've got a lovely follower in America who who nice. coined the term woveneering. <laughs> Love that one. Yeah. So and I yeah. think that that sort of sums it up. Yeah. It's 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 um it's a fantastic combination because I I used to work in mills so I love the I love the sound of machinery and I mean they're so clever what they do machines do and 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 these ones because they're they definitely look sort of torture chamber Victorian you know kind of thing but uh they're they're just so fascinating so to to be able to work with Mm. them and it's not just a press button where you're actually, um, I, I mean, I, I feel everything through my feet. You know, the, nothing on the loom moves unless I put my foot on the pedal, move my foot. So uh, so I can tell if it needs oiling. I can tell if the paraffin's evaporated. I can tell if the timing's going out. Um, the sh- yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's so uh, sensual. <laughs> That sounds odd to say it, but it is so sensual, um, and and so it it kind of it doesn't feel like a machine, and mm-hmm. you might think in other terms. Yeah, and so quite, when you're you're on the loom and, and pedaling away, what is it that you're doing? It's I think. It's something that I th- I get the impression just from the way people interact uh, when I when I post a video, um, that it it just looks awfully simple. Yeah, and you just, yeah, you just have you a know, nice time drinking a cup of tea. Um, but actually, <laughs> you just have a nice time. Yeah, <laughs> think think about what to cook for dinner. Um, but uh, it tends to be well. I find it quite meditative um in that it's it's very much about focus uh, or i find i have to anyway on my loom and again it's every loom's different but my loom seems to be particularly temperamental um so uh i'm focused on what's happening um particularly focused on what's happening with the shuttle going back and forth because you you fill the shuttle with a little cartridge sort of thing called a pern which has got the weft yarn wound around it and as it's going back and forth across the loom at 25 miles an hour or whatever uh you're trying to keep an eye and you've got multiple shuttles happening at you know alternatively so you've got to remember which is the one that's running out and um so I'm really watch most of the time I'd say the focus mm-hmm. is watching for the the weft running out. Um but at the same time like I said with your feet you feel things um and so of like the a bit of leather might have stretched so the so the shuttle isn't going I mean at the this has been my conundrum this week is for some reason one shuttle was going slowly Right. And the others were going fast. And I still haven't quite worked that one out. I mean, it could be that the the shed timing wasn't right, or it could be the, the one particular wooden shuttle. I mean the trouble is my boxes when you've got old parts and one um 
in this case the spring in the box one had broken which I've not had before thankfully I had a spare but it's a slightly different shape to the, all the other ones so now one shuttle mm -hmm. you have to really force it out the box and the other five shuttles go really nice and easily so in the pedal cycle I've got I'm counting along I'm counting every thread in the pattern so I know when I'm going to come to the one that's heavier so I can give it a little extra bit of welly <laughs> to make sure it gets all the way across without getting stuck in the middle and yeah. causing a problem. Um, yeah. <laughs> and me getting grumpy. <laughs> So, so that's sort of, so yeah, so there's a lot, it, I actually find that it's, I mean, I'm strangely satisfying, but it's also the, in the day I was talking to somebody else who was saying that, you know, they reckoned that, because I was saying how I mm. leave the weaving till the end of the day, that I have to do everything else first, all the admin and the stock putting away and the emails and stuff. It's like you have to sort of clear a headspace to do the weaving. But also, and she was saying, oh, is it like, you know, when you save the best to last on your dinner plate? And I said, no, it's procrastination because actually that's the... Yeah. I kind of half dread it um, uh, because I find that's the hardest part of the business is is the weaving because mm -hmm. that's when things can go wrong and it's out of my control and I don't know how to fix it and so uh I well I annoy myself that I don't get on and started earlier so therefore I don't finish my target till late um I know there's <laughs> a big part of it it's just avoiding it <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love it when it's working. Yeah. And it's, it's so working, difficult, it's... isn't it? I, I've been doing quite a lot of uh, pricing really of jobs recently, and it's factoring in the things that you can't, mm. uh, you, you know, you know there's going to be delays oh. from a thing breaking and you have to go get another one, and, but they haven't got it in stock, so you have to go further, yep. and then you've lost a day, and so a job that should take one day is taken two. And it's sort of how do you factor in yeah. all of those potential things that might go wrong when you desperately in your head want to be the optimist that says, oh, of course, nothing will go wrong. Uh, uh, absolutely. I, I think that's <laughs> the second hardest thing about the business. <laughs> uh, it's, and also because I'm, I'm planning, I'm planning my production mm -hmm. now about a year in advance. So, and if, and even this summer, I thought I'd had a terrible summer the one before and, and been jam-packed and not got a break. So this summer, I tried to add in time after every order as a gap, thinking at some point, one of those, those gaps, will, I'll have a whole week and I can take a break in August. That would be nice. Um, <laughs> it didn't happen. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, as you, as you said, you, you, you're you an optimist. 
and it doesn't seem to I mean I guess it's a nice thing in that it doesn't seem to matter I mean I'm 10 years now and it doesn't seem to matter that I've done that's happened every time for 10 years and I still haven't learnt mm-hmm. to go no stuff goes wrong add in an extra week. for me it feels uh, I feel like I'm ripping off the client uh, by factoring in that stuff because it's you know it's it's a thing that doesn't really exist this mythical time i know that's i know that's not the right mentality because it is my time whatever it is but yeah yeah I, i i think i suppose i want to you know i want to be professional and i want to be able to give the idea that I know what I'm doing and therefore you know and and like anything else you know we have certain expectations these days I mean gosh you know the delivery dates as soon as you placed your order the delivery date will be um but you know I'm trying to give delivery dates six months in advance um and even building in the stuff that goes wrong I think I think the part of the reason maybe you I'm not learning <laughs> uh, is because every time that something goes wrong, it mm-hmm. seems to be a new something going wrong. Uh, so it's not like I could anticipate it. Um, because I, I, I am actually quite uh, an anxious person. Uh I you know anxiety, but I've always kind of seen my anxiety. If it's you know if I can manage it, mm-hmm. then it's really quite a handy tool. Because if I'm worried, if I if I'm, something comes up that I'm worried that could go wrong, well at least I've got chance in yep. advance to do something about it, so it doesn't go wrong. The the more things you think that could go wrong, the more prepared you can be. <laughs> uh, but um, I mean, I, I made I made stupid mistakes this year, which uh, I th- you know I th- again I think I've been around so long that I should have checked you know I checked that, but I hadn't checked that, and oh no, okay, that really throws everything out, and so yeah, anxiety is mm-hmm. a big small business owner anxiety thing. is. <laughs> Yeah, in small business, yeah, yeah, it's quite a lot of pressure, and I suppose that's possibly part of the procrastination thing as well. Is is you know something goes wrong because then either I have to tell somebody I'm going to be late, which I don't like doing, um, or I don't know when how I'm gonna I don't know how long it's going to take to fix, uh, um. And there and everything after that because the schedule's already been planned out. I can't actually make up any time. I, I don't. I'm still not good enough at sort of boundarying off mm. proper downtime. Well, I'm trying to. Um, so then it becomes well, God, if 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 I have to come in on Sunday, that means I don't get. A time, you know, like I'm absolutely knackered. And then you're making the more mistakes because so, you're knackered. Um, I've ca- exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's it's sort of false economy somehow. Um, 
So, yeah, it's just yeah. a lot of pressure, I guess. But that's still, it's still worth it. It's just, it's just part of the part of the price you <laughs> There's pay. So much suffering for our our craft, isn't there? <laughs> Would it be oh, craft yes, if you no. suffering? <laughs> <laughs> You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, but but we love it. But it's so good. It's so good. Um. So when you're well. you're pedaling away, I mean, there's. I'll link to some videos on your your Instagram mm-hmm. because it it's really something you've got to see. Um, All right. How how much effort are you putting in? How like do you feel like you've cycled cycled to to London and back? Or uh, well, I think I think that's possibly given that you you've cycled all. <laughs> I didn't the way cycle all the way Scotland. around Scotland. For for you, for you, it would just be a little breeze. Uh, uh, for me, it's well. Again, and that's interesting. The two, the two, well, the two main looms that we use. Um, so I've got the green loom, and my sister uses the the big black dobby loom. Um, and in fact, somebody I, I gave them a little touch of the pedals on the two of them yesterday and uh, mine is really really light compared to Belinda's um, so I kind of think of it it's a bit more like if you were on one of those bikes at the gym and you can and mm-hmm. you can sort of turn the dial and it gets harder well it's a bit more like I yeah or cycling on the flat maybe so there there is an effort and and if you didn't cycle, you would slow down. But it's a kind of momentum, and except I'm going up and down. Um, and the the effort I imagine is probably a yep. little bit more in the stopping and starting, because your um, because your feet are going up and down, and there's a, a there's a very specific point in that cycle where you have to stop, otherwise your shuttle gets stuck. Or so so there's there's quite a lot of and I I'm guessing and I'm not a physiotherapist or anything. It's probably core strength stuff. You know that you're you're using your core muscles as well as you must to stop at the right point so and also because this shuttle is flying there's mm-hmm. a lot of it's it's really really quick uh, and and so a lot of that effort is uh and it and i do lots of different weights of cloth so with a different weight of cloth if the yarn's really thick which is what i tend to do a lot of in the summer because it's all winter coats um, the the there isn't much yarn in the pern in the shuttle, so actually I'm stopping. I did time it once. It's somewhere between f- fifteen and twenty seconds. I'm stopping every twenty seconds to change a pern for twenty seconds, and then start pedaling again. So you know, for months I'm just doing this short short bursts, and then I because I can't. I just like getting off my stool. It's that's fine. Um, some people will just lean over and change the shuttle, but I tend to stand up, um, which is probably slower, mm-hmm. but it's just a, a different bit of movement. Um, so then at the moment, this week, I'm doing another cloth where 
on, on say in that first example, you maybe it's three hundred and fifty right. steps in a meter. The one I'm doing at the moment is eight hundred and fifty steps in a meter. Oh, I see. Because the yarn's so much thinner, so it takes a lot longer to weave the meter. So instead of three hundred and fifty threads Got in you. a meter, there's eight hundred and fifty threads in a meter. Um. So I'm sort of nearly doing, well, two and a half times as much yeah. pedalling in the same hour. So uh, so <laughs> yeah. this week, I'm quite tired. <laughs> and, and at the end of the hour, because I tend to sit for like an hour block, give myself a bit of a target I like the clock's right across from the loom okay correct sitting down it's quarter past four I'm going to aim to get mm-hmm. to 36 meters by quarter past five and sometimes it will be bang on I'll go yes that's great and then sometimes something's gone wrong and actually it's quarter to six by the time I've finished um and then I'm like I'm ready for a break then just even stretch your legs wind some perns go to the bathroom, make a cup of tea or something, mm-hmm. you know, just 15 minute break and then get back on and start another four metres. So um, that's my loom. Belinda's loom, sorry, I've rattled, rattled on a bit. Uh, Belinda's loom's much, much heavier and and we kind of liken it to, uh, I mean, I definitely think of hers as more like a, a steam train. Imagine trying to get it started and push it along the tracks takes a mammoth effort. But once it's going, it's just dum, 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 dum. Um, But starting and stopping, that one's even harder than mine. But she's tending to weave finer Mm -hmm. yarn, so she's doing more pedalling and less stopping. Whereas on my loom, which is where it's much better suited for the heavier stuff, uh, I'm doing lots of starting and stopping, but the looms, the pedals are quite light. So quite different characters, even how they feel. We think of Bel- we think of Belinda's loom, or I think of it as like a because she used to work with horses. Um, so hers is like a big yeah. Clydesdale, you know, big, solid, reliable. You once you get that moving, it's it's gonna keep cantering along. Whereas <laughs> whereas mine's a bit of a show pony. Um, and and she sort of flicks her head around and you know and the shuttles go flying all over the place <laughs> and you have to massage her ego. What a sort of more. meterage are you doing in a, a, an hour a day? What whatever sort of time? Well, again, it's a mm. it's a tricky question because there's so much preparation time. So, um, very, very roughly, I'd say one and a half to two days to set up for an order, which is basically getting the yarn in, winding, winding yarn on my lovely old cheese winder. It's a beautiful thing, that one. Um, And then the warping, setting up the warp, doing the warp taking the warp off the mill onto the beam, then putting the beam on the back of the loom. I might have had to do a draft change or I might have had to lift all the shafts out the loom and put a new set of shafts in because we do so many different kinds of cloth. 
Uh, you might have to do a draft change, then you have to tie the new warp into the end of the old warp, pull it through, get everything started, make a new pattern card, um, wind all your perns. So that's before you started weaving. And then the weaving, I would, for my, um, what I do, I aim in my head right, okay. for 12 metres a day. But some days will be mm -hmm. um, four metres. I think on Wednesday I had problems and six metres. That was just like, <laughs> pissed me off. And then... <laughs> Uh, but then, but then the next day, for some reason, everything goes well, and yeah. suddenly you got sixteen meters. It's oh, that's not so bad then. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of in a week, I guess you'd probably say most one and a half days of prep and three and a half days of weaving. But when I say that, the three and a half days also, I only really yeah. start weaving after lunch. Uh, sometimes like a couple of days this week it's uh, I do three one hour slots with breaks in between um, so that tends to be anywhere from sort of two two to six mm -hmm. or three to seven or something like that um, and in the mornings it's all the sampling and uh, I'm, I'm always doing sampling there's always yarn stock to put away and manage that and try and keep checks of all of everything um emails inquiries doing costings writing up specs organizing what Belinda's doing so um it, it, another way to look at it was i did work out i think i do about wow. 1100 meters a year i can't remember now um so okay. it kind of worked sort of, out half oh, a meter an hour. Wow! Over over the year. Yeah. If if that makes sense, because everybody's saying how much can you make in an hour, and I could do four meters if everything worked out well, but that yes. doesn't that doesn't account for all the other stuff. Yeah. Which I think when anybody's starting out, you I mean everybody says it, it's not nothing you'd say but you just how long everything takes mm -hmm. and how much is involved and the actual to doing of the things that you think um you know the actual do is actually so so small i mean and i maybe had quite a good idea of that because in the 20 years i was working it always used to Always, we used to sit and I used to get really grumpy. That I never get any design work. I'm a designer, but I never do any design. And I, and I at one one place I used to keep timesheets just to prove to myself how little design I did. Wow. And it was like five percent, and the rest of the job was admin, and mm -hmm. product development and emails and all that sort of thing. Um. So in that sense, I guess that's not such a surprise. Um, but I think for a lot of people, maybe starting out, they just which is what I did as well at the beginning. I remember writing my little business plan. Oh yes, I'm going to make hundred and fifty meters. No, I'll make fifty meters a week. That'll be easy. <laughs> it's like, <"Ooh."> yeah. <laughs> Still haven't done that. Um, so yeah, you know, but that's. 
I definitely would say I'm somebody that learns by doing and I am, would like to think I'm quite cautious in mm-hmm. saying I'm going to do something until I've actually done it and proved I can do it and how long it takes yeah. and um, all that kind of stuff. You told me about... Yeah. Um, I think you applied for was it Quest Quest funding, and what was the the sort of outcome? Oh yeah, of that? yeah. I, well, that was that was really good actually. Um, I I had got myself through um, a woman that I worked with in the Hebrides, Sheila Roderick. So we worked together on on training projects. She was doing the training, teaching people on these Hattersley looms in in the Harris. And I was involved more from a sort of admin point of view from the college in Glasgow. Um, And uh, so it was through her that I got my loom. Uh, You know, I wouldn't have known how to get one otherwise. But um, so... I had the loom. She had the loom stored for me over in the Hebrides um, because I didn't have anywhere to put it. I didn't have the shed then. Um, And basically I was I was very conscious that, you know, I needed help. I needed training. That's what I'd been watching her train other people. Um, And uh, so I basically needed to pay her. I needed to pay to get her over to help me build the loom and and train me because that's her profession, that's her skill. Um, and if I'm starting this as even if it's not a business, but even more so as a business, then um, you know I need to be able to pay her. So I needed money. Um, so I applied for a couple of different things. One um, one I got told, yeah, I didn't get either of them, but um, <laughs> uh, so I'm. Definitely not good at presenting things, I think. But um, the Quest one was was really interesting because at the time there was a a new development in our village, um, <laughs> the local castle <laughs> uh, was was opening up a, a cafe with their lovely uh, walled garden and they were going to have artisan studios on the side so this was like oh this is absolutely perfect uh, there's going to be a big car park there's going to be loads of visitors I can see me and uh, I was living with my mum at the time as a living carer so I could see it was just across the other side of the village I can it would be nice and flexible and blah 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 um, but unfortunately that fell through. But when I went down to pitch for the quest, it was like, I've got this loom, I've got this industry background um, and I want to make scarves because that's easy to sell to people that are going to be walking past, see it getting made, blah, blah. Anyway, but for some reason through the... <laughs> and I had some little scraps of samples one I because I used to do weaving workshops so I had I was just using up old bits of yarn so I'd had a little scrap that was silver lime green and purple check sounds jazzy (laughs) but that was all I had yeah it was all I had so that's what I took um 
and uh, and the the gentleman in the on the panel will say, "See, I think I think you should be going for bespoke tailors. Bespoke tailors would love that." And I'm looking, really? <laughs> I said, "But I don't know any bespoke tailors, and and I don't I don't know." Like that's so far away. I'm in a little village in the northeast of Scotland. Like, we don't have many bespoke tailors up there. Anyway, um, and that's where that's what started the idea of actually I should be trying to do something different. And he sparked my curiosity, I guess, because I didn't know anything about bespoke tailors. Uh, I I went online and I I was about the time I I started on Instagram. So it was an easy, very easy way to do your research. And and I probably spent, because it took me about three years to start up um, before I went to see my first customer. And all that time I was basically making, I made something like 300 metres of cloth might even have been 600 I can't remember it was a lot um just to practice and and because stuff was going wrong all the time so I'm not going to go and see a customer till I know I can make something um and uh and various things happened as well um mum had a stroke so I'd take a bit of time off and anyway uh so by the time I got down to Savile Row. I'd already had a couple of years sort of watching who did what, what sort of fabrics, what were the... Clearly there was, you know, because you could see the people that were commenting on on images and then, you know, see what people liked and um, and I, I suppose get a sense of what was important to either those businesses or to those customers. Um, and that just seemed like a, a... It also dawned on me at the time um, that in my working life, I've always worked in business to business. So rather than making scarves and try to sell them to anybody and everybody, um that wasn't my kind of experience of of business of trade trade to me was was about building a relationship with your customer um and I'm again I'm really lucky in the sort of industry I've worked in and my experience so far is building up really lovely uh interactive relationships with people where they appreciate mm-hmm. what you do and you appreciate what they do and and it all adds it builds momentum uh for the end customer which is their customer um and they do all the the handling of that um because I'm only one person so uh you know to do lots of sales of small items involves so much more invoicing packaging never emails questions back and forth um <laughs> I, i'd never get on the loom which could be a good thing but uh, <laughs> i just wouldn't i just wouldn't have anything to sell um whereas uh with the trade customers you know i'm not trying to get to know everybody new every time um to get the next sale 
you're building up a rapport and if I see something now I can go and think I know somebody that would like that um or they they do the same you know so it's it's it just suits me I love that <laughs> I, I love my customers it's <laughs> Uh, so I'm very lucky in that sense. So I, I have to say, so it was the getting the rejection from Quest that probably made a significant difference to uh, how how I was able and that's to the power, have isn't a it, business. Of one really. little um, comment and and the fact that that's one little comment changed your life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think it it possibly worked also because it it kind of made sense to me when I thought about like in terms of this business to business thing, um, and uh, that was you know I've got a lot more experience of knocking on a door and going and sitting at a table with a business customer, and and showing them my work than I have mm-hmm. standing at a table in a craft market. I, I've just never done that. So uh, so it was it totally fed into my experience already in uh Yeah. And that was something I was quite comfortable with. So I think yeah. that so probably what, what made a big do? difference too. Did you just head down to Savile Row? <laughs> Well, like I said, uh, uh, yeah, well, not, sort of. Um, I, I, the year before, uh, I went to London Craft Week. Had a, um, a series of um, open day sort of things. Part of London Craft Week. So a couple of the tailors had. Um, opened their doors for that or they were doing tours or something so uh, me and my pal Paul I went uh, off around doing all these tours with my little <laughs> little bag of samples just in case um, <laughs> and uh, and we got chatting to people and and you know I got my samples out and um, it was one lime green one, <laughs> and uh, to go back to the lime green, uh, and there was one tailor uh, in one of the Savile Row tailors um, who just loved it. It was like, oh, I would love that, you know. So, so it was there was sort of oh, okay, so it's maybe not so bizarre uh, an idea. And then after that, unfortunately, I had to sort of take some time off for mum. But um, by the time I sort of the next summer, I think it was summer two thousand thirteen, maybe the first time. Anyway, um, by then I had I like I was following everybody. I'd read read Richard Anderson's book, and uh, you know, I I had a bit of background of who was doing what, um, and uh, I'd sent off a letter in advance with some swatches of samples. Uh, a little sort of printed flyer with some nice photos and and the woven in the bone poem, um, uh, which is the name of the business, uh, Donald S. Murray's uh, poem, um, sent that off with a letter basically saying 
Hi, I'm Sam. I've got all this background experience in the industry. I'm making some cloth. I wondered, would I be able to come and show you? Uh, and I got, I probably sent off a dozen letters. Wow, that's and I a good ratio. I got about six replies. Um, yeah, wow. some people rang straight away. Um, and uh, so I went down and I sold my first bit of cloth to Davison Sons and... Anderson and Shepherd uh, commissioned a, a test length, and Richard Anderson uh, with Mister Lishak. I started a development. Wow! How, how about day. that for you know, um, sort of certifying your well, what you felt was yeah. the right thing to do. Well, it. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think. I was quite happy, like I said, it'd been three years and I've been going five days a week. I had two days consultancy work at the, at the mill down the road. So uh, that basically paid for the start up. There was just enough to, uh, and I didn't have any, I, I'm, very, I'm very aware that I was in a very lucky situation to be able to start up because I was living at home, I was looking after mum, I'm not saying that was easy. Uh, but at least I knew I wasn't homeless and I wasn't going to starve and uh, and time was very flexible. So, you know, I'd get her all set up for the day, go out at 10 o'clock, come back by 6 um, and and then do the cooking and cleaning stuff. Um, so that meant there was a... I guess there was a the money that I earned from my bit of work that I did have could go straight into the business. Um, it's not like I had beneficiary, mm -hmm. you know, not beneficiaries, what dependents or anything. I don't have kids or anything. So um, I was in quite an unusual situation. I say, and I'm living up here, northeast. Uh, you know, it's it's a lot cheaper living than being in London um, or some of the big cities. So... It was a sort of set of circumstances that made it possible. <laughs> we were just, uh, it was, uh, was it? starting up. <laughs> yeah, and how the, the Savile Row stuff came starting. about. Yeah, so, so I, 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 that's right. I think I was saying I was quite happy after three years and lots and lots of weaving that, that mm -hmm. I knew what I was going in and offering and, and that all going well... <laughs> Uh, she has her fingers crossed. Um, all going well, it would. Mm -hmm. I could do what I said I would be able to do. That might be but the of theme of this podcast. Yes, very much so. Um, uh, so, bless them, Anderson and Shepherd. I, I, I stuffed up the first, uh, the first order for Anderson and Shepherd. Um, and uh, the there was something that I wasn't aware of on the loom that was actually causing the the pattern to be irregular, which I'd never noticed because I hadn't done a pattern like this before. Um, and I had to ring them up and say, I'm really sorry, but that length you commissioned uh, well, after is no you'd good. finished it. 
So um, you'd put all the and, all the effort in. Yes, because oh. I didn't notice it. I put all. I'd woven it. I'd ordered the yarn, paid the yarn, woven it, sent it for finishing. It wasn't until it came back from finishing because it's quite often you can't when it comes off the loom. It can be quite. It's what they call loom state. It's a bit. It's a bit like your your shirt out the washing machine before it gets ironed. You know, it has a different crinkly. It's a bit hard to mm-hmm. see flaws because everything's not flat and smooth. Anyway, so it wasn't till it came back from the finishing and I was inspecting it again, thinking, even visually, I was going, oh, check, doesn't look the same all the way. There's occasions where it's it's different. Um, and it turned out that the, the let off on the back of the loom, I had a particular mechanism at that time, and basically it was letting it off slightly irregularly. Um, so the check was changing size only like a mm-hmm. one or one and a half millimeters or something um but if you're a bespoke tailor and it's all about that's important the stuff yeah matching uh you know that's a problem it's important stuff so so i had to i had to ring up colin and um bless him he said well we've all got to start somewhere uh, and I said, well, I'd like to try again if you don't mind. And he said, no, that's fine. Um, so it took me four attempts <laughs> <laughs> to get it right, to work out what was going wrong with the loom, try different things. Um, uh, one one of them got messed up because something else mechanical happened. But yeah, no, it was... <laughs> I mean, by that point, I thought these people... <laughs> Well, anyway, but they, of course, they're they're my biggest customer by far, and um, yeah, they I wouldn't be here without them. So, oh, um, that's wonderful that they they it's, obviously it's believed been fantastic. in you. Well, well, I guess I guess like everything, you you know, mm. they wanted the story, so they wanted me to be able to get the work <laughs> to get it to work. <laughs> Uh, so, um, yeah. yeah, thankfully, thankfully I got there in the end. Would your and, and we've done fabric, lots and lots uh, of is, fabric, is that the right word? Yeah. Cloth. There you go. Would your. Yep. I call it cloth, but yeah. Okay. Cloth's probably a bit more of a trade word. I, I like cloth. Yeah. The tailoring trade talk um, about cloth. <laughs> um, so would your cloth be yeah, very like cloth. unique in what they're offering being the. I don't know, would you call it handmade, artisan made? Well, that's that's the kind of... Uh, yes, uh, it would be pretty unique because... Um, well, I don't... I don't really know of anybody else that's doing what I'm doing. Right. In the world. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are other people with which. I mean, there's there's other mm-hmm. independent weavers doing Harris tweed, which is very similar, but you know that's a brand in itself. Um, and uh, there are other people with Hattersley looms, not so much, uh, and and making cloth, making fabric, um, but for other things. So, I suppose that's my little niche in my little market. Yeah. For for tailoring and menswear, I guess. Uh, yeah, no, I'm certainly not the only weaver, and I'm certainly not the only Hattersley weaver. There's there's quite a few, um. But for that market, yes, it's it's I guess 
if you walk into a, a bespoke tailor, there's there's sample books, swatch books, which is called bunch books. Um, and I've I've heard I've heard people wow. say there's you know ten thousand fabrics to choose from. Um, but if you there's an awful lot of black and an awful lot of navy blue and an awful lot of grey, and then within that there's a probably smaller percentage that's we'd call tweeds or coloured pattern cloths, um, sports jacket type. So so my cloth probably fits more into the sports jacket mm-hmm. or overcoats rather than suits. That's that stuff's really super fine, super 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 fine yarns. Uh, very um, well, it would take me years to make a length because <laughs> it's so fine. Um, so there's no point in me looking at that because we've got a whole industry doing that, and in some ways we've got a whole in Scotland or and England, of course. Um, you know, there's a there are big mills producing lots and lots of of tweed cloths as well. So, um. It's uh, my my cloths probably not as traditional as a lot of the traditional mm-hmm. cloths. It's probably not as hard wearing, um, but and there's sort of technical reasons for that. But I guess I'm catering to uh, it's the novelty actually. If they put it down to it, it's probably novelty more than anything else. Because um, if you're if you go into a bespoke tailor and you're spending money to have something made just for you that's just fits you perfectly, is something that you're gonna keep and and uh, and love. Part mm-hmm. of that is that it's all it's about the individual. And it's made custom made for you. But then if you've got a the same cloth as everybody else, it it doesn't it you know, I suppose there's an added value for some people that the yeah. cloth is is I think calling unique it, as uh, well. Novelty is uh very uh, uh, yeah, I think so. I think you are you're being very humble and underselling uh what yeah. is a, well, a, I get I, I would probably call it a craft product. Well Well th- I think that's a sort of difficulty. I mean and I, I suppose there's a part of me that um I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean it's being something different, I guess individuality so yeah if you want to put a, put a nicer spin on it maybe it's about individuality but it is also about craftsmanship because the and that's where the sort of the connection with the tailoring world I've just loved because um you know there's people I mean the hand skills the needle the sewing skills are incredible I still love watching the, and I don't know all the right terms, but when they're stitching up all the insides of the the layers and layers, you know, in true bespoke, there's layers of different types of cloth that have, you know, one to give you structure, one to, you know, and they're all hand stitched together and they're so neat. And I love, I used to love stitching actually. Um, so I can, I can imagine the satisfaction of getting those rows of stitches all nice and neat. And, uh, you know, I, I can relate to their 
practice and what they do and totally admire it. Um, I mean, mum taught me dressmaking when I was, you know, at art school, I used to make all my old clothes and things. And I've got, I, you've made two overcoats. Um, uh, you know, I know, I can imagine the, the, the how they, they manipulate, I couldn't do it, but I, how they manipulate the cloth to to get this, the shaping on the shoulders and the armholes and so it's it's lovely. So if you're a customer and you appreciate that and those individual skills that they've built up relationships with with their tailors and their tailors businesses uh, and they they love and appreciate the work that goes into that, it's not such a big jump to appreciate mm-hmm. somebody putting yeah. that kind of love into the cloth as well. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's a really I, yeah, good. I couldn't agree mix, more. I think. Um, mm. I mean, it's 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 difficult mm. that it's expensive, but at the same point, uh, I. I mean, I would love, wouldn't you love the whole world to to be able to do that and to be able to have that, but quite how the economics mm-hmm. of that Well, when you work, think about the... I don't know. Yeah, you know, the clothes being sold uh, in a, a Primark or something for for two, two pounds a dress or, you know... Yeah, well... It, economies uh, of scale, yeah, I guess. No, I and, well, actually, that. it's probably yeah. more foreign um, sweatshop labour, isn't it? It's probably yeah a, a a combination cheap cheap fabrics synthetics uh and and you wonder where about the labor has yes. to be how can you possibly yes, it might well be above board but yeah. it's above board in a kind yeah. of so uh we go to a country where the laws are different and you know more or yes or yeah, or there's no laws, or and 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 yes, it's it's but and it's somebody making mm-hmm. making money out of that in the middle somewhere. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> let's, yeah, let's let move on to a <laughs> no, but 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 that's the difficulty about mm-hmm. the, the, you know. Well, you I, face I mean, those you're obviously questions. on the, the the right side of that, to, assuming that you're treating yourself nicely. Uh, well, uh, well, Are you that, I mean that, that's yourself? a good question too, because uh, yeah, uh, well, in some ways I have. Uh, I mean, it took me again. I can't remember all the figures, but um, it's probably only been, and I don't want to exaggerate. It's probably I would say f- four years since I've been right. able to. Fully yeah. support myself out of ten, uh, and and in that year before that it was it was pretty dire, <laughs> uh, and you know, yeah. Well, hmm. when I had to sort of find rent, um, when that my home situation changed, that was a a very tough year, and that was probably only 
four or five years ago, five years ago. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I've probably only made over minimum wage the last two years, maybe. But then, you know, you live really simply and, and that's again, you know, I'm not going out like when I lived in in Sydney, I was in a cafe every night after work. Uh, I mean, they were very cheap, but uh, and you travelled more <laughs> and did like and you had days off and <laughs> things like that. But but that's a choice, you know. I don't I don't want to sound like oh, woe is mm-hmm. me or anything because it it's a choice. I I I love doing this. I love the. I love the flexibility of it. I love doing my own thing. I like being on my own, so that's handy. Um, uh, and yeah, gosh, yes. <laughs> especially now it's working. <laughs> I mean, there was there was uh, you know the beginning part was was quite a struggle, and you didn't know if it was going to work. I just suppose had a gut feeling mm-hmm. and just had to keep persevering. Um, and and manage it because, like I said, the first the first time I went to sort of show my wares and I got such a good response. Then you know the the um, what's the word the attraction could very much. All oh, right, I'll go and get more and I'll get loads of work. But actually, it's still then there was like two or three years of just managing that. Mm. But, you know how much you took on because things still were going wrong so everything takes longer and and until I've had sort of three years in a row in a way going yes I know I can tackle that many orders in that amount of time um I, I my worst scenario was was letting people down so it I grew very 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 slowly and had to kind of fill that gap, leave a gap mm-hmm. in case I needed it, but then fill it at the last minute. So, um, it it took took a long time to build up to a point. Yes, that I, I had a period. Sort of at that level. So, generally speaking, uh, spring is when people start thinking about building again, and um, and so you know, kind of by. For, yeah. through the winter coming into spring you know i'm getting a bit desperate and a bit worried and then suddenly all the offers come in in spring and i i had a yeah. year when i just said yes to everything because i thought you know i was concerned about the work and i ran myself Shit. ragged um yeah. you know worked all of the hours all of the day i don't think i had a day off for yeah for about four months and by the and you know the clients weren't getting my mm. best work uh i was <laughs> sort of falling apart um uh, uh yeah and that was a very very valuable lesson in you know i don't i don't panic come spring anymore and no it's not not sustainable dare i say yeah so so how do you how do you balance that in winter do other things do other things uh, in winter? the last couple of years i've been quite lucky so this last year and and the coming year i've got solid winter work um which will see me right through yeah i sort of balanced it in a few different ways sometimes i just got you know hunkered down and uh, kind of did my winter hibernation stop stop spending mm. anything stop mm. going to cafes 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's that's what what part of mm-hmm. part of that is. It's all choices, isn't it? You make you make choices, and um, yeah, certainly I I treat myself more now. Uh, I'm not I'm not very good at hanging on to money, so it's it's there to be used in my, <laughs> which is why it's rarely there. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, yeah. As soon as as soon as a bit of money in, then oh yes, oh <laughs> what a treat! A new jumper. <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ah, thank you, Sam. That was so great. I really, really love that conversation so much. And... I'm so very pleased to know Sam and look forward to popping in for a coffee next time I try and cycle the coast of Scotland. Right, so now I'm going to do my very best at reading the Woven in the Bone poem by Donald S. Murray. I'll be honest, I'm not very good at poetry, and so I hope I'm not butchering this too much. But there will be a link in the show notes to the Woven in the Bone poem, so you can go and read at your leisure. Uh, This is from the Weaving Songs book. There is much that we overlook within the weave, hidden in lost patterns, like how a place stays us when we leave, till long after we have parted. We can see the faint glimmerings in the path, around our feet, some thrift or bird's foot trefoil, a bluebell tinkering in long grass, sea rocket soaring out of sandy soil. And two in my ideal stretch and length of tweed, there would be reminders of steps made. Across Macaire by the long stride of my feet, a mingling of colours, shades, of iris, primrose, gentian, centauri, a kaleidoscope of orchids so rare, that naturalists might think such flowers could never be, stitched or sewn from memory to allow others to share. All right, as always, uh, there are links in the show notes. Make sure you check them out. If this was your first episode, then please do subscribe so as not to miss any future episodes. 
and look back through the other 116 episodes. You'll find things on craft, on building, on heritage. In my opinion, all the good stuff. Equally, if you did enjoy this episode, then please do take two seconds to share. Put it all over your favourite social media or send it to someone on WhatsApp. I'm sure they will enjoy it. And if you've been sent this by someone, remember to say thank you. And finally, if you do find this podcast useful or entertaining, then please do consider becoming a patron. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. And of course, you get all of the extra bonuses, advert free listening, discount courses at Netcom Craft School and bonus content currently standing in around 10 and a half hours worth. OK, well, we have reached the end of our time together for this episode. I hope that you've enjoyed it and that you will join me again in a fortnight for another inspiring conversation. Until that time, I hope you're enjoying seeing the little signs that spring is just around the corner and the gently lengthening days. Bye bye.